Father, again, we thank you that we can come here this morning and gather around your word. Thank you that we can come here and worship you. Thank you, Father, for uh, your words that we're going to hear from uh, the Bible. Just pray that you'll open our hearts to them and soften our hearts to your words. Pray that your Holy Spirit may come into our hearts and speak to us today through Paul's message. Uh, thank you um, that all things that we hear are from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves. So when you live in fear again, rather the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies without a spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That's a great Bible reading, wasn't it? Well done. And we're going to be focusing on that passage. It's printed out for you in the leaflet, so there's a separate uh, entrance there for you if you'd like to follow along. You just heard Romans 8.14 says, Those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. Uh, so the question I want to ask you this morning is, are you led by the Spirit? Are you led by the Spirit? Because if you believe you're a believer, that's a vitally important question. You've got to be able to answer this question, are you led by the Spirit of God? Uh, because if you're not led by the Spirit of God, then clearly you're not a child of God. So then the question becomes, are you a child of God who is led by the Spirit of God? But how do you know if you're led by the Spirit of God? I mean, what does that uh, look like? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? At this point, are we talking about essentially it's a matter of guidance? You know, the Spirit actually helps us in our decision-making as we press on, you know, what job to do, uh, where to live, what retirement village to go into, uh, how much money should I give away, where should I send my kids to school, all sorts of questions that come up day by day. So when you become a Christian, do you get some sort of uh, app for your phone, you know, a sort of spirit guidance app that you, know, you can sort of plug in? Is, that the way, is it sort of like a spiritual GPS system that helps you work out what it means to be led uh, by the Spirit of God? Well, today what I want to do is focus on that passage from Romans chapter 8. This is one of uh, two spots in the New Testament only two, where we're instructed to be led by the Spirit of God. Uh, the other one is in Galatians chapter 5. Now, let me be clear at this point. There are other spots where the Spirit clearly intervenes in people's lives uh, to direct their steps. Uh, if we went to a place like Acts chapter 16, verse 6, uh, there we see uh, this. Paul and his companions were prevented by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. The Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, here's the thing. We're not quite sure how the Holy Spirit prevented them. We're not given that bit of information. But what I want to emphasise is the fact that God, by his sovereign power, can intervene to direct our paths I'm not suggesting that's not the case. It is the case. God 
being God, he runs the world, he can do what he likes pretty well, you know, uh, that, that's the way it works. However, when we turn to Romans 8 and Galatians 5, here we're being told to do something. Uh, it's not like Acts 16 where the Spirit intervenes, but here we're being instructed to do something. We're being instructed to be led by the Spirit. And if you are a child of God, you will be led by the Spirit. So what does that look like? What I'm going to do is pray, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll dive into Romans chapter 8, okay? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you're a God who has been so gracious to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you've placed your spirit within us. And Father, we ask that as we reflect on this wonderful gift that you've given, uh, that we'll be encouraged, uh, strengthened, and just have uh, increasing clarity around what it means uh, to be led by your spirit as we live for your glory and honour. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's now on the leaflet that you'll, you'll see as well. And I want to say firstly that the Spirit leads us into godliness, that is, to want to please God. Just look with me at verses 13 and 14 of Romans chapter 8. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And here we're getting a contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Uh, but when it's talking about flesh, it's not talking about, you know, bone and sinew and muscle and, you know, what you can see and feel in terms of your body, your cardiovascular system. Rather, when it talks about the, the flesh, it's talking about the mind and the heart, the core of our beings that actually rejects God and says, I will be the boss of me. Okay, I will run my life my own way. That's the way in which Romans is using this idea of the flesh. It's contrasted with the spirit. That is, God gives us the Holy Spirit to convince us of sin, uh, bring us to a point of trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and puts in us the desire to live for God. Okay, that's the flesh-spirit contrast that's being made. And that's why you see there in verse 13, uh, the goal is to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Now, if you're trying to think about what it means to live by the flesh, you only have to go back to Romans chapter 1. And there, actually, we're given lots of information or examples of how that works. It talks about greed or uh, gossip or envy or jealousy or sexual immorality. Um, you know, that fixation with what you can see, taste, touch and feel in this world, uh, that sort of idolatry is at the heart of what we're talking about when it comes to, to sin, the misdeeds of the body. And you may be thinking at this point, well, if I struggle with sin, if I am struggling with one of those temptations, if I'm finding that very difficult, it's obviously a sign that I don't have the Spirit of God. In fact, I think it's probably the opposite. See, if you struggle with sin, it seems to me you have the Spirit of God because you're aware of that struggle and the Spirit is bringing about conviction of your sin. And the Spirit also will provide you with the, the clarity around and the desire to live for God. All right, the Spirit leads us into godliness. 
But also, and it really came out in that children's song actually, the Spirit leads us into the riches of a relationship with God as our Father. Now, this is so, it's such a wonderful truth here. Look with me at verse 15. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have no fear of judgment from God. Back in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 3, so earlier in the chapter, we read, God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, right? To be a sin offering. You see, the reason we have no fear of judgment or punishment from God is because Jesus took the punishment in our place. Uh, At law, there is a principle called double jeopardy. Essentially, all that means is you can't be punished twice for the same crime, right? Can't be punished twice for the same, same crime. What we're being told here is that Jesus was punished for our sin. If your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who took the punishment and consequences for your sin, you know the principle of spiritual double jeopardy applies. You cannot be punished for the sin that Jesus has already been punished for in our place. So if your trust is in Jesus, no fear of judgment. But it's not just a clinical payment of a debt. You know, you hear, Jesus paid the debt for my sin. It's wonderful, it's precise, but it's just a tad clinical. But we're not meant to read it that way. Look with me at verses 15 and 16. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Literally here it's saying uh, the spirit of adoption. See, it's one thing to be acquitted, you know, to have the punishment paid for your sin. It's a totally different thing to then be adopted into the family of God and have that wonderful privilege. And it means we get to call God Abba Father. Abba Father. Uh, about five weeks ago, I read in the advertising newspaper that Lady Neal had died. Lady Neal was the uh, wife of the former governor, Sir Eric Neal. And as I read that, it reminded me of an occasion where Sue and I were invited up to Government House for a meal when Sir Eric was the governor. Now, it's not that we spend all our time hobnobbing with elite people, but there's this traditional historical relationship that Trinity Church in the city has with Government House. So there's sort of this formal connection there, which has meant with different governors over the years, we've, we've had a bit of connection. So we're invited up to Government House, but it was a little unusual because we're invited up just for a meal with Sir Eric and Lady Neal. And we actually had it in the kitchen at Government House. So it's quite intimate, and there was just 
Sir Eric and Lady Neil and Sue and I and four servants serving us in the kitchen. And, and mind you, the kitchen was about as big as our house. Right? So, and the thing is, while it was informal, it wasn't that informal. That is, I didn't say, yeah, Eric, pass the potatoes, you know. Uh, could you, you know, Lady Neil, yeah, just give me, give me the sauce, would you? It wasn't like that. It was still Your Excellency, uh, Sir Eric and Lady Neil. That's just the way. Friendly. It was very friendly, but it was still formal. When it talks about us being children of God, we don't address God as Your Excellency God or Sir God. Do you hear what we're being told here? Abba... Father. Uh, the academics say they struggle to work out the best way to translate it. Doesn't mean, uh, you know, dear dad or dearest daddy. None of those actually work for me in terms of my family background and the way I felt towards my father or the way I even talked to him. But understand it's not so much the words but rather the reality of the confidence and security we have in a relationship with God because of what he's done for us. In Mark, Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. It's just hours before he's due to be executed on a cross and he knew it was coming. I don't know if you remember the words he uses when he, he talks to his heavenly father. He says, Abba Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you get the point? This is the one you can trust. This is the one you can reach out to in the moment of crisis, in the moment of your deepest need. And he promises never to let you down. He is faithful. He is good. He is your heavenly father. It's interesting, the, um, the Quran, uh, Islam's holy book, it has 98 names for God and none of them are personal. Being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ gives you this intimacy of relationship with God as your heavenly father. And if you've been a follower of the Lord Jesus for a while, we can easily take that for granted and forget what an extraordinary thing it is to be brought into that relationship with the one who rules heaven and earth, all things, and brings you, by his mercy and grace, into his family with him as father. It's just such a wonderful truth. And then finally, the Spirit leads us into our inheritance. Did you pick it up? Verse 17. Now, if we're children, 
then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So what do we, what do we inherit? If um, Sue and I die, our kids get a third of everything. That is a third of not very much. Right? That's just the way in which it works. Okay? But here's the thing. The children of God do not split up the inheritance. You know, it's not like uh, you know, Steve gets adoption and I get forgiveness and you know, we sort of distribute the sort of blessings. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. Do you understand? We get all the blessings because we get all the blessings that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. We're co-heirs with Christ. We get what Jesus gets. We'll share in his glory in verse 11, we're told he will give life to our mortal bodies, just like Jesus, that his death is not the end, will be raised to life as well. Uh, that is, we have absolute security as we face the future. See, where is the Spirit leading us? Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So is the Spirit leading us into a, you know, a job, a marriage, a home, a retirement village, uh, to send our kids to a particular school? Uh, don't get me wrong. God, God can direct your paths in any way he chooses. And in any of these sorts of issues... But what I want to say is, as you look here at Romans chapter 8, understand that God, by his spirit, leads, into some, lead, leads us into something that is much better and is much, much richer. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and convicts us of our sin and so that we understand we're made right with God because of what Jesus has done by his death and by his resurrection and ascension. As the Spirit convinces us, we have life because of the kindness of God. The Spirit gives us a desire to serve him with our lives, to keep shaping our lives, to please God in this world. And the Spirit helps us understand that we aren't just God's employees, we're not God's slaves, we're not God's marketers in this world, we're not God's financial backers. We are his children. We are privileged ones who have relationship with God. We are beloved now and for all eternity led by the Spirit into that, the riches of that relationship. There is nothing better, is there? It is a wonderful gift. So I'm going to thank God that he's given us that, us that reality by the work of his Spirit. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a great God. And in your kindness, you lead us into the riches of relationship with you. One, we know that our sin has been dealt with, we're forgiven, we're right with you. One where you 
Drive us forward by your spirit to live for your glory and honour. One where we know our future is secure because of all you've done for us in your son. And one where we know we have this intimacy of relationship with you because of what the Lord Jesus has done. And the spirit brings us into the fullness of that relationship. And Father, we pray that we'll dwell in that. It's a gift of your grace. That we'll uh, enjoy it. It'll thrill us. And we'll know that um, it doesn't get any better uh, than these blessings you've already given us in your son. And we pray it in his name. Amen.